part of that issue for me moving was I got sick too after I got here, and we we never really found out quite what it was, but I was sick for a long time on my stomach, and and uh, but eventually it got better, but it, it took time, and it was it was a kind of I don't know it was kind of a spiritual warfare that I went through, uh, but it was really in my personal walk with God, and He took me through times where I really had to rely and just trust on Him more than anything. He taught me certain lessons that I don't think I ever would have learned if He hadn't brought me here. In our culture today, Christians all around America are finding it hard to battle the spiritual warfare that is all around us. We find ourselves busy, tired, frustrated, to the point of burning out. Our tendency as humans is to fight our battles with our own strength. Like King Saul, we don't want to wait on the Lord. We rush into battle before God arrives because we believe our gifts and talents are enough. This has become a common reaction in life until we are confronted with a storm so great that it reminds us of our need and dependence on Christ to intervene on our behalf. Hi, and welcome to today's Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. We welcome the author of Abide Devotional, 40 Days to Abounding Freedom in Christ. Clay Meadows is here. Clay, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Professionally, you are a school teacher or a counselor, kind of a combination of both. A combination of both, yes. You attended Union University? I did. Yeah, I just uh, graduated from my master's program two years ago, May of 2017. You've been teaching, you told me, at First Assembly now for 11 years. Yeah, just completed my 11th year. How's that journey been? Uh, it's been adventurous. To be honest with you, when I first began, it's not something I ever planned on doing in life. You know, I never thought I'd ever grow up to be a teacher and most of my teachers as a kid probably would have told you the same thing. I was never really the best student, but it was definitely a God thing. Because when I before I started, I was working at a bank. I was in a cubicle all day long. It just wasn't me. That was the only job I really never loved that I had. I think God put me in a place where I needed to change. And when the opportunity came around, it was just uh, the job was open. I was encouraged to apply for the job. And I thought to myself, me, I, that, that just isn't me. But I, I felt so compelled to pray that I just took it to the Lord, and I, and I spent really a couple hours in prayer asking God, what do you want me to do? And the only response I really got was, you turn that application in, and I'll give you, I'll let you know what my decision is after you do that. And sure enough, here I am. So He's been confirming that for 11 years now. He has. That's a great insight there, because so many get frustrated in the workplace mm-hmm. they're in, you know, right. and, and you say that little cubicle, and then they're just living that, they're just trying to right. do the nine to five. Right. And there could be an exciting career waiting for them. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty neat how you and I met. Yes. I think it's a divine appointment. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show today. Yes. Just a couple of weeks ago, my mom was uh, rushed to the ER. She's doing fine now. She's been released. She's actually back to work. My mom's, I guess it's okay when you're 80 years old to say somebody is 80 years old, but she still works four days a week. That's incredible. She's amazing. She runs circles around all of us. Yeah. But she found herself in the hospital here. Your wife, Jackie, yes. is a nurse. That's correct. And she was my mom's nurse. What was intriguing, I noticed that Jackie wasn't from the U.S. Right. And found out she was from Peru. Mm-hmm. And what was even more interesting is because just like a week before, I did a show about a ministry that provides safe drinking water to those living in Peru. Look at that. Liquid Legacy, Piet Stridum, who is the director of that ministry. And he was just in the studio on this show right here. Uh-huh. My heart was already thinking about Peru and the people of Peru. She told me she was from Peru. I thought, really? That was very intriguing. So it started yeah. a conversation. But even more so found out that she's like the biggest Bot Radio Network fan, probably in all of Memphis. She loves listening to Bot Radio. Yes. As we got to talking, she said, you had just written a book, and she connected us together. 
and typically I don't do a lot of book interviews. I get requested to them all the time. I imagine so. But I like it when there's a local connection. In this case, there definitely is. And your wife is an incredible lady. She is an amazing nurse. God has given her the gift of caring for people. Also got a chance because you stopped by the studio, Mm -hmm. was it yesterday? Yes. Yeah. And you've got two beautiful children. Tell me about your family. Well, I met my wife at College of Crichton, 2005. And we were friends for a long time. We got married in 2008. And we had our son, our oldest is Joshua. He was born in 2010. And then my daughter was born three years later, Anna Chloe. And, and it's just, um, you know, there's nobody I love more than my family. <laughs> it's, we spend pretty much all of our time together. You know, this is why summers are just wonderful because we're with each other all the time. They're a blessing in my life. I'll put it that way. They keep me busy, but they're a major blessing. I bet they are. They are. I know they are. Yeah. They're so cute. I had fun meeting them and yeah. high-fiving them, talking to them here in the studio. Uh this book you've written, mm-hmm. Abide Devotional, 40 Days to Abiding Freedom in Christ, it's based out of 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, I That's believe, correct. and we're going to unpack this as we share something that I read in your book that a particular teacher moved you at your school who was facing something serious in her life. She was facing cancer, I believe. Yes. Is that what inspired you to write this book? Yes, it was. I mean, the the theme had been on my mind for a while anyway, Abide, but it it, it really had not really uh come into focus until that moment because before I had found out about her cancer, I was, I was trying to write a, a Bible curriculum. I'd almost completed the first chapter and this was kind of at uh, the inspiration of a former professor of mine from union who has recently passed away. Dr. Ken Easley. Ken, dear yes. friend. Oh my yes. goodness. Dear great, brother. Yeah. Great man. Oh, I, mean, yes. I, I learned so much from him. Um, but that's really what got me inspired to try to write to be honest with you, we got so busy that school year that even when I got to the first chapter, I had to put it off for a time. I remember in November, I had just, the day before I found out about Mrs. Gray, who, the, the teacher who had gotten cancer, uh, I was talking to my principal and our head of school about asking if I can put the teachers into prayer groups and just try to get us focused back on prayer. Uh, I just wanted to make a difference. Uh, it was the very next day, though, I found out about her. She made the announcement and it hit us all pretty hard because, you know, Mrs. Gray, she she was kind of known around the school for having the most Christ-like attitude. I mean, she she's almost like a mother to all of us. You know, she inspired every one of us, and she was the kind of person that if she said she was going to pray for you, you knew she meant it. Uh, if she didn't do it right then and there, you knew she would do it later. Yeah. There was no doubt about it. And she just had that presence about her. When you were with her, you felt like you'd been with Christ. Oh, my. So it hit us all very hard. And what happened was the next month in December, morale really took a, a hit pretty hard at work. I felt led to write a devotional to the teacher. So I went to our, our secondary principal to ask for permission. I'd already written one just to let him see it so he knew what was going out. But And he um, he said, yes, I would love you to do that. And he said, matter of fact, can you do it every week? And I, I said, oh, okay, I'll do that. I'll try. You know, I've never done anything like that before. <laughs> yeah. This was actually the first devotional I'd ever written. And I'd never written anything until that point, at least devotional-wise. You dropped a copy of the book by yesterday, and have not had a chance to read the entire book. I've just kind of skimmed through. But late yesterday afternoon when I was getting ready to leave, turn the lights off and leave the office, I picked up the back of the book and I read the back cover. And as I opened up with that about how we as Christians in America are finding it hard to battle the spiritual warfare all around us, we find ourselves busy, tired, frustrated, the point of burning out. And our tendency as humans is to fight our battles with our own strength. 
And as I read those words, Clay, I just felt a tug in my heart by the Holy Spirit saying, Byron, that's where you are right now. Yes. It doesn't take much to get to that point. It, it really doesn't, yeah. does it? You know, I think no. we, we find ourselves often in that place where we're trying to fight the battles ourselves. Yes. And realizing that we have a mighty victor and conqueror that yes, we do. lives and abides within us. Christ that wants to take us to different levels and and teach us. But we all encounter these difficult challenges in life. You're young, you know, you're young. But what have been some of the challenges, maybe some of the fierce storms that you've had to walk through in your life already? Um, Well, my first one was when I was 15. I grew up in California, believe it or not. Um, I was born in Georgia, but grew up out there and lived there for 11 years. Now, when I moved to Memphis, it was kind of a culture shock. I mean, it was new for me, you know, and Everybody and, says that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I, don't get me wrong. It's home now, and I love it. Sure. But it took me a while to adjust, and, and you know, I went through things, challenging things, because I you know, had a lot of friends in California, so I had to adjust. And at the time I moved here, my sister had moved to Atlanta. My brother moved to Alabama, and I was used to being around them as well. And I guess that was my first kind of trial in life. But it, to be honest with you, was, I, I, I see it now as a gift from God because it really it, it changed me in a good way because it helped me going from being more self-centered to – well, less self, less self-centered because, for example, my father was going to try to stay in California, California for me, because um, he saw how much it was hurting me. And what happened was he was going to stay. He actually was going to turn down the job and stay. So sure enough, he would have thought that would have made me feel better, but it didn't. I felt worse. And I remember going out to the front of my house one night on a you know cool summer night, and I just I prayed for about an hour. And I just I actually did all the talking, but until the very end, and I just I poured out my heart to God. And I said, God, you just you gotta help me because I don't know what to do. You know, I don't want to leave, and I want to leave my my friends, and I want to leave what I feel like is my family. And I finally got to the point where I was willing to hear what I didn't want to hear, and I think that's when it changed. I finally told God, Look, I'll I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Just tell me what to do. And I only heard Him say two things to me. You know, the first thing was He said, All right. First of all, just know that if I'm going to have you move out there, no, I've already gone out there before you, and I'm going to lead the way, and I'll be with you every step. And then the last thing he told me, he said, now I want you to go back into your house, and you tell your dad that if it's my will, you'll follow him. So I did, and I didn't know it then, but I, my dad told me later that that was his answer from God, and he called, and he had, he had almost lost the job. They said, you called just in time. <laughs> well, it, was, it was definitely a God thing. It yeah. wasn't me. It was God because I was probably too self-centered at that time to see it. But And I believe, at least for me, God took me into a wilderness for a time to change me. And uh, I, I see it now as a gift. You know, Clay, and some might hear the story and say, well, that's a good story. That's not really that intense. You know, I, like right. some people have faced some major right. fear storms, right. death of a child or right. you know, a family member or, you know, some other Difficult news about their health yeah. or something like that. But I think it's important to say when James talks about the trials, various trials you yeah. face, I understand the word for that is like a prism. When a light hits yeah. a prism, there's all kinds of different arrays that come off that, mm-hmm. different size, different shapes. Right. A trial can be as small as you try to tie your shoestring and right. it breaks. You know, what's yes. your attitude as a response? You exactly. know, are, are you cursing? Are you praising? What are you doing? Yeah. So I think it's important to know that we all go through mm-hmm. times. We, that, that, we think, that goes back to the point where we think mm-hmm. we can do it ourselves, even right. those mundane things. Exactly. It does. I mean, and part of that issue for me moving was I got sick too after I got here. And we, we never really found out quite what it was, but I was sick for a long time on my stomach. And, and, uh, but eventually it got better. But it, it took time, and it was, it was a kind of, 
I don't know, it was kind of a spiritual warfare that I went through. Uh, but it was really in my personal walk with God. And he took me through times where I really had to rely and just trust on him more than anything. And he taught me certain lessons that I don't think I ever would have learned if he hadn't brought me here. You mentioned your dad a minute ago, and yes. I had read where your dad was really a spiritual influence for you. Yes, sir. I mean, he really taught you about the Lord and growing yes. up in Christ. Talk yes, about that relationship a minute with your dad. Sure. Uh, growing up, it was it was actually more the kind of thing that it was caught. You know, he, he lived it out. You know, everything, he didn't have to say it a lot, that, but when he did, we knew he meant it because he lived it. You know, we knew, you know, we always knew how much my dad loved God. It was evident in his life. We went to church every Sunday, but it wasn't just that. It was just how he treated everyone around him. And we always knew that, you know, as a head of school and a, and a principal in the past, he always saw that as a ministry. For him, it was always Christ is first. And that was always behind what everything he did. And just watching that growing up, it, you know, it inspired me. But when we moved here. Now, did he move here to take a job as a teacher or principal? Actually, a principal. The head of school and a principal job when we first moved here. But our relationship really took off when we moved here because I had to kind of depend on him a little bit more. We began to talk more about the Lord, especially in college. It just really took off. We would talk about books that we had read, and we just enjoyed it. We, it was For us, it was fun. Honestly, that's kind of why when I first started teaching, I thought, I should have realized this. I love talking about God. <laughs> you know, so My dad and I have been doing it for years now, and that's really the impact he's had on me. John 15 speaks of the vine and the branches. What have you come to understand most about this passage as you prepare and yeah. study for this book? No matter how much I learn, I've, I've always got more to go. So it's just still a teaching process for me. But I've learned that I, I can't do this by myself. When I mentioned Saul in the book, here's a guy who was talented. He relied on his talent, but he didn't wait. If he had waited, maybe things would have been different. But at least for me growing up, the first reading, I always wondered, what's the difference between Saul and David? Why was David man's after God on God's own heart, whereas Saul, he does seemingly appear sorry. I know he consulted a witch and all, but he, I, I think that was the difference. He, he tried to do it on his own, whereas David, he didn't do that. He trusted in God. He didn't take it himself. You know, I just recently finished a book for the second time called A Tale of Three Kings that focuses on David's life and why he was different and how he was broken. One of David's servants was talking to him, and it was really about Absalom. And he was asking, why don't you fight back? You know, why don't you stop him from taking the kingdom? David's response was, I didn't fight to become king, and I'm not going to fight to stay king because it's not my kingdom, it's God's. That's the kind of heart and wow. brokenness that I'm hoping to be. I don't know if I'm there oh, yet, but goodness. I'm trying. Well, you know, and we're always seem like trying to hold on to our own kingdom. You right. know, what can we do, exactly. you know, to make us keep what we got? Uh, when Jesus says, I am the vine, what's he claiming about himself? Uh, to me, he's the source. Yeah, he's the source of anything good in us, because apart from him, there's no way I can bear that good fruit. I mean, and I've noticed it because I was the youngest in my house growing up. So I remember at times where my parents would have to go to work and my, my siblings had already moved out of the house. So I, and I couldn't drive. So I'd be at home all day. And, you know, you know, when I was a kid there, we didn't have we didn't have a computer, or the Internet in the house. You know, we didn't have anything like that. And and there's really nothing good on TV. So I had to really get creative, but I spent time in prayer, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I almost feel like that was God forcing the time for me just to be alone, just to be with him. Yeah. And uh, it, it helped me see as a kid growing up, I need him desperately. And I need him because I realize I, I can't be good on my own. I can't do it. I try, but I, I fail every time I do it on my own strength. But I have to rely on him. And his grace. Yes, we do. Something kind of flashback in my mind. You were yeah. talking about being creative as a kid without yes. having computers, which I grew up in a computerless age myself right. or technology age. 
Do you remember the little green plastic army men? Yes. I used to oh, love yes. to play with that big bag I used of those. To love those. Mom would go and buy strawberries at the market and bring okay. them home, and they had these little plastic baskets. And so okay. I would take string out of her sewing kit and uh-huh. tie it around there and make little baskets and tie yep. them around the doorknob, put the plastic men in and raise it up like it was yep. an elevator, I guess. But yeah. you try to find things yeah. as your kid when you, you don't have, have all the computers, you know. And That's exactly right. <laughs> you have to. to do. You yeah. have to get creative. Okay. In one of your chapters, you speak about John Wesley as a young boy living at home yes. when his family's house was consumed by a fire. I didn't realize this. What did you discover about Wesley's life in this time? Sure. sure. Well, when I learned that, it was actually in my master's program in Union. I had to do a paper on the Methodist Church. And, of course, I learned a lot about John Wesley that I hadn't known, including this particular part of his life. But, yeah, he was the last one to get saved from this, that fire at his house. I believe his dad was the one that pulled him out at the last minute or the last second. And he was kind of called a, a brand plucked from the fire. Well, what happened later, He, um, as he grew up, he was really focused on holiness living. He uh, started a holiness club with his brother Charles, and even George Whitfield actually got a part, became a part of that. Um, but to me, the big thing about Charles Wesley's life was when he came to America and he started trying to do missions work, he uh, almost seemingly fails a little bit in Georgia. Um, at least if you compare him to George Whitfield, he did. But when he goes back to England, he has an experience at Aldersgate where he goes into church and he hears someone preaching off Martin Luther's commentary of Romans. And it, the the story was when he heard that those term justified by faith, his heart was strangely warmed. And from that moment, that's when he began preaching out in the streets. And it's like he was a different person. Um, for me, what I noticed when I did the research on his early life, he was very focused on righteous living. But at that point, he was focused more on God's grace. And that's when it really seemed that he just caught fire. Uh, that was the big difference that I noticed with John Wesley. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think that's so applicable to yeah. us, too, Clay, that yes. we need to, as we look at God's grace, that's a freedom that he gives us so we can abide and do the things that he's called us to do. That's exactly right. Okay. You highlight eight different areas of practice, abiding in Christ, the word, mm-hmm. prayer, fire, suffering, hope, rest, and love. Why these specific eight? Why are these the main focus of your book? Well, it actually took me a little while to come up with those eight. I mean, I, most of them I had already, and I was sure of, but it was the second half that I, it took me a little while, and I prayed about it over and over, and I, you know, I kept asking God, what, what different sections do you want me to, to talk about, to focus on? And eventually, it came down to these eight, and I started with, obviously, Abiding in Christ, which is the foundation, and as I went to Abiding in the Word and, and Abiding in Prayer, this was kind of a how to to help to abide in Christ, uh, that we need to keep our life in his word. If we don't, you know, we're, we're kind of cutting ourselves off from the source. Prayer to me was highly important because I grew up praying a lot. I mean, you know, as well as I do, as you get older, life gets busy, especially with kids. I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old and they, they keep me busy. Yeah. So it's uh, <laughs> finding personal quiet time to pray is, is a lot harder than it used to be. And But you can kind of tell, you know, when you don't get that quiet time, you can tell a difference. Uh, so that's that's another reason I included that. Uh, the fourth section, which was Abide in the Fire, was really kind of meant to be more a revival thing. Because the way the order that I went in, it was, almost felt like a spiritual war type thing. You you get saved, you abide in Christ, you abide in his word, you get to know him. Uh, through his word, you get to know him through prayer. Then usually, in my mind, that will bring about a kind of revival in your own life, a uh, sense of fire. Like we see with Peter and John and James and the disciples in the book of Acts. And then after that, you know, like Christ, when he went out into the wilderness after his baptism, trials seemed to come. 
you know, and I guess I heard someone say one time that you're either going into a storm, you're in a storm or you're coming out of one. And yeah, at least in my life, you see spiritual warfare. You know, I feel like anytime you're doing something for Christ, the enemy's going to do something. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And so I figured, okay, you got to help them learn to abide in that suffering. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I, sometimes I, even though I don't like it, sometimes if I see it as a gift from God. Because uh, I heard Emerson Egridges, he's an author of Love and Respect, one time used this example where, you know, if he were to step on a skunk, you know, you obviously the skunk's going to release a smell. But he's not the one to put the smell there. That smell was already inside the skunk. He's just revealing what was on the inside. Whereas if you step on a rose, you're going to release a sweet smell. But it's not as if he put the smell there. He's just revealing what was there already. Totally. And that's kind of what a trial does. It reveals what's on the inside of us. And if it's bad, then at least God's making us aware of what it is so he can help us change. And Jesus also yeah. said in this world you're going to have tribulation. Exactly. You know? So exactly. maybe we need to embrace it more and learn about right. abiding in, right. in a different way because Jesus yeah. embraced suffering himself. He right. went to the cross for us. That's exactly right. You know, no servant is greater than his master, like he said. You know, the next thing for me was, okay, if you're going to suffer, then you also got to learn to abide in hope because you can't, you can't make it without hope. And I try to emphasize that Christ is our hope. One of the things I mentioned, and I don't go as in detail to as much as I'd like, uh, but uh, I heard a sermon preached one time with an example about Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, and how when he was in the concentration camps, he, he had noticed four different types of uh, responses to suffering. And what he noticed was pretty startling. He said that one, the first group he noticed, uh, these are people who are generally good or kind. They changed. They became vicious, just mean. Uh, would step over you in a minute just to survive. And then the second group, he said, just gave up. I mean, he, uh, Franco mentioned there was a guy that had heard that the war was going to end, I think, on March 29th. And when he realized it wasn't on March 30th, he got sick. And then the next day he died. He just lost all hope. His body just shut down on him. Uh, but then there was a third group he noticed, and he said these people were the ones that put their hope in what they lost. For example, their spouses or their kids uh, money, their jobs, their health. But he said many of those, when they made it out, just couldn't hack it. They couldn't make it because they couldn't give back what they lost. And their foundation was those things. So a lot of them ended up committing suicide. But he said there was a fourth group that they stayed who they were. They didn't change. Uh, they didn't give up. And when those certain ones made it out, they made it because their hope and foundation was in something else other than that, well, something that couldn't be touched by anybody. And uh, for many, it was Christ. So I feel, and he made a comment, I want to say that, and I'm going to, I may mess this, this quote up, but he said that the suffering in a concentration camp had a way of exposing your foundation. But I, I always thought if Christ is your foundation, then the only thing that suffering is doing is leading you to your source of joy. Wow. And, you know, there's our hope right yes. there is in Christ. So yes. no matter what the enemy does, he's like, he's shooting himself in the foot. He's going to lose no matter what he does. It's, it's as if the, God gives the devil just enough rope to hang himself. Yeah. And um, and then after that, you know, I went to abiding in rest because we all need that. And and what kind of drove this, I didn't put this in the book, at least I may have. I can't remember, to be honest with you. But I was reading one of Henry Blackaby's uh, one-year study Bibles, and he mentioned that, and I didn't know this fact about sheep, but he said that sheep will never lie down unless they're 100% sure they're safe. And that really put Psalm 23 in a whole new light for me that, you know, if he's going to make me lie down in green pastures, then I'm going to know that I'm safe. So there comes a time in life when you ha you just need to rest in him. Yes. 
And the last one obviously was abiding in love, which to me is foundational. And, you know, loving Christ, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So, the greatest of these. Greatest of these, yes. Time is slipping away here, Clay, yeah. so we're going to have to kind of wrap it up quickly. Your book was given out to the students and faculty at FACS where you teach. Has there been any kind of impact that or feedback you've received so far? I have, yeah. I've actually uh, received more comments than I even expected. <laughs> you know, I uh, a fellow colleague of mine who works in the the uh, the children's department, she uh, came and told me how she was really impressed, and I was kind of taken aback. And she said that there was a lot of meat there. It was really deep. And, you know, to me, for me, when I wrote it, I was just – I wrote each one on a different day. Honestly, you just – I didn't really have a plan at the time I was writing. I was writing to my colleagues to try to help inspire them. And I was just writing what I felt the Lord put on my heart. And uh, it, it came out to be this. And so to me, I feel like God gets all the credit. But I've been having a lot of compliments from my fellow colleagues. Matter of fact, before I published it, I was um, a few of my colleagues actually encouraged me to try to unpublish it. Whereas I was trying to publish that Bible curriculum, but I felt God must have changed my direction. <laughs> and this is what happened. Okay, you have a book signing coming up, right? That's correct. Yes, at Barnes & Noble, June 15th, 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock. 11 to 1, Barnes & Noble. The book is Abide Devotional, 40 Days to Abounding Freedom in Christ. The book is available right now. You can go to Amazon.com, Apple iTunes Store, or Barnes & Noble and get a copy. That's correct. Uh, is there a local brick-and-mortar bookstore that people can go by and get a copy? You know, I haven't seen it yet because it's still Fairly new, sure. but they did say they were going to release them in some brick-and-mortar stores. They okay. did say that, my publisher. Do you have a website that people can get more information about? I do. I actually just launched a few weeks ago. My publisher did that for me. It's actually on my Facebook webpage. So, so go to your a, Facebook page, which yes. is Clay Metals. That's correct, author. Clay Metals, mm-hmm. author, and you can get that details there. And mm-hmm. friends, do get a copy of the book, a bi-devotional and this would probably be a good book, too, if a, if a class wanted to go through it, Sunday school class wanted to go through it. Yes, sir. Probably a good resource. Absolutely. That's kind of what I really wanted to do because I, I thought to myself, well, you know, I, don't, I didn't feel led to do a whole year devotional. I wanted to do something shorter, something that people, you know, wouldn't feel so overwhelmed with to go through. Right. I wanted it to be something shorter and easy to, to kind of pick through. Clay Meadows, God bless you, my dear brother. Well, thank thank you. you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom at FACS and through yes, the sir. release of your new book. A by devotional, which is out now. Thank you so much for hey, being our you, guest sir. on Bot Radio Network. Thank you for having me on. I, very, I appreciate it. Well, friends, the book is A by devotional. Get your copy. Don't forget about the book signing on June 15th, yes, 11 to 1, Saturday at Barnes & Noble. Come out and meet Clay. Get a copy. He'll be glad to autograph it for you. That's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.